Hey, welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. I'm your friendly host, Lou Rosenfeld, and I have Sam McAfee joining me today. Hi, Sam. Hi, Lou. How are you? I'm good. It's great to have you on the show. It's a frozen Friday afternoon here in New York, um, and you just really broke my heart by telling me that it's blooming there in San Francisco. Or, I'm sorry, in Oakland. I can't. I have to be very careful here. I know I can't say San Francisco and, and mix them up because you're from Oakland and you'll get mad. <laughs> It's true. It's That's blooming in both places, though. So, it's, it's the Brooklyn of the West, <laughs> right? Or I live in the Oakland of the East, whatever it might be. But um, if you don't know Sam, uh, you might have read his book. Came out a few years ago called Startup Patterns. Well reviewed. If you check out Amazon, he's working on the second edition now, and uh, he's just a guy who's been in the Bay Area tech scene for a couple decades. Uh, has an engineering background, works a lot on uh, product management these days, works with a lot of uh, teams, and uh, is really passionate about how people work together. So he is not a UX guy, and that's why I have him on the show today, because you may know uh, that Rosenfeld Media has been putting on the Enterprise UX Conference uh, since 2015. We're doing 2019 in June uh, in San Francisco, and we've really changed the conference quite a bit. Not that it was anything wrong with it, but we feel like one of the real challenges that UX leaders and managers in enterprises have these days is that they um, clearly do not own the experience. Uh, it is a shared ownership with their peers from engineering and product management and customer experience and could be, you know, HR and, and biz dev and marketing and, and uh, analytics and on and on and on. And so we're bringing in a, a group of new curators like Sam to help us create a program that's really going to help UX leaders and managers who are trying to align themselves with and collaborate with and partner with their peers from those other functions. And we've got some kind of radical ideas for how that might work on the program. And maybe if we have time, we'll get to that later. But I want to start with you, Sam, and understanding um, from your perspective, uh, why is there, I want, to, I want to use the word fractured, but let me just say there's a lot of tension. Maybe that's a little more gentle between people who run different parts of the enterprise. And, and, the, the, and by that, I mean the people from functions that have a stake in the, in the experience of those enterprises, products, and services. Why is it fractured? I mean, I, th I think it's fairly rooted uh, historically. So, um, you know, I work with a lot of large organizations that are trying to do some sort of digital work, some sort of digital product development using software. And typically they are these days embracing things like agile, like lean startup, um, like design thinking. And um, what you find is those organizations are highly siloed. We have a, we have a history that emerges way back from Frederick Winslow Taylor of this sort of 20th century industrial model of companies um, that you know, has a lot of reasons why it's that way and was that way in manufacturing. But I think that that bled over into sort of office and clerical work. And so 
And knowledge work. Yeah, and knowledge work. Over the wall. Completely. And so you've got these functions that have grown up in these in these large organizations, whether it's uh, engineering, you know, in this, in, or IT. And I'm trying to get people to not say IT so much, but um, you know, I think of it as software engineering. But it's IT, you know, coming out of um, the financial operations of a company, and then you know, sort of design coming from a different direction and product management is fairly new to most of these companies. Um, and so these silos develop uh, sort of organically and very quickly out of these functions. And so I think that they're, you know, when people are trying to do products together and they're required to sort of work across these boundaries, it's very, very hard. Um, and so one of the reasons why I'm really excited about the conference and being involved in the work that you're doing, Lou, is that um, I believe very strongly in the successful product team being a cross-functional team. That there, and by cross-functional, I mean that there's even a little bit of a blurry line between people's functions. So um, the best engineers have some knowledge of design, even if they're not design experts, they understand the field somewhat and they understand product. And so each of the different sort of legs of the stool have some skill or awareness or at least empathy for the adjacent skills that they have to work with and collaborate with to build products. So that's, that's what's important to me in this. Are, are you finding that regardless of the, the type of person you're working with and what function they come from, is there a personality trait or some other factor that correlates most strongly with their ability to work with people from outside their functional, functional area? I don't. I actually find that while there's a lot of literature around team building and team formation that has to do with different personality traits and different personality testing, and you sort of hear the, the myth of like, we need this the more entrepreneurial person. I hear that a lot. Um, and, I, and I think that some knowledge of psychology and personality is important in, in being able to facilitate people working together. I think that, that everyone is capable of coming to the table and working and, and being productive and being able to collaborate with other personality types. And I think that there, there's, there's, all, there's been strong evidence for um, about a hundred years going all the way back to Deming that the the system of organization and the, and the organizational structure and the, and the the system that you're working in has a really really overwhelming impact on the quality of the work produced by the people in that system rather than sort of the performance of any one individual person and so we have to take a really systems thinking approach when we're, when we're building products and, and building organizations and teams. And so I think there's a place for everyone, regardless of your personality type. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any one in particular that makes someone sort of more or less collaborative. I've worked with people who are more introverted, people who are more extroverted, people who are sort of more assertive or more aggressive or, or more passive. I, I think it really, you know, there's a lot of ways to work together. Yeah, I don't have a particular type in mind that I think is more effective. So I think it's really interesting that you're, you're only a couple minutes into our conversation and you're hitting on the issue of systems thinking. And I mean, that certainly is happening on the design side where there's a steady march toward taking kind of panning back and taking more of a macro view of how things fit together, how they work and, and so on. 
you know, I think there's a big sort of a demand really for people to learn about they, uh, I think a lot of people really want to learn systems thinking. We don't necessarily know what that means, but it, it feels right. And it's going to be really interesting to see in the next couple of years, how we go about acquiring the, that, that uh, kind of macro viewpoint in your experience, you know, spanning both product management and engineering, where do you turn for perspective and, and uh, knowledge about systems thinking? What's the sort of inspiration for it? Are there thinkers that, that have been really helpful for you? How have you gotten to that macro level perspective? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot. There's a number of, of thinkers, um, sort of both current and historically. Um, I mean, I think that I, I was really strongly influenced by the early lean literature. So I referenced Deming a minute ago. Also, um, you know, folks from sort of the Toyota background, Taichi Ono and others. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff around, around the Toyota way that's worth taking a look at if you really want to understand how to sort of think about the organization as a whole. But also I've been getting into a lot of kind of organizational leadership literature these days, you know, um, reading stuff more like uh, Team of Teams is really great, um, you know, things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of sources. And I think that one of the things that I've noticed that comes out of that literature is there are sort of common themes of the organization um, having a clear purpose, that there's, there's an aim or a purpose to the organization, a mission, if you will, and that it's the responsibility of the leaders in the organization to, um, to define and articulate and to regularly communicate and reinforce what that, that goal is. And so uh, an organization won't function very well if there isn't alignment in all the different groups and all the different levels around what, what is the goal, what's the mission of the organization. Um, How much of that is a leadership responsibility versus, uh, I hesitate to say grassroots, but not just the leaders, the people on teams, the people further down the chain, reaching out to their peers around the organization? Well, I think it's both. And I think we could broaden the definition of leadership as well as not to necessarily mean folks that are technically high up in the organization, right? So leadership comes in many forms. And when you're in a large organization, although it is often sort of seen, I think, mistakenly in, in, our, in our zeitgeist that the people who are higher up can sort of make everyone do stuff, that's not actually how large organizations work. Um, executives can't get stuff done by fiat all the time. There's a, there's a heavy reliance on influence and communication. And anyone who's worked in a large organization knows that a lot of it is running around doing sort of grassroots efforts at trying to influence um, allies and people who can sort of work with you toward a particular initiative. Um, and that's a form of leadership. So I think there's really an organic level of leadership that comes up that really anyone is capable of. Doesn't matter if you have people reporting to you or if you're an individual contributor. Um, it doesn't just come from the top. Although it is really important for the leadership coming from the top to be good as well. So how are you seeing organizations distribute that leadership load throughout their, their teams? Are, are they uh, are they bringing in uh, uh, consultants to, to help their people 
understand what it means to lead in this sense. Um, are you also seeing any kind of specific uh, tool sets that people need to pick up in order to, to be these kinds of leaders? And by that, I mean things like um, the ability to, to listen well enough to translate. Because when you're working, you're trying to lead by getting in touch with your peer in another function. You may often be speaking with totally different languages. I mean, the same words have different meanings, different words have the same meaning. And, and a lot of it is just communication. So, you know, I'm really interested both in, in how you diffuse leadership and what are the specific leadership skills that people who don't necessarily uh, uh, label as leaders in their job titles uh, need to pick up. Yeah, it's a really important point and really important question. Um, I think sort of tackling the first part first, I see companies, it's a bit of a mixed bag. You know, I see companies kind of doing it well and some doing it not so well. Um, I think what, what we've found out, um, what sort of the science of organizations shows us, um, you know, just to sort of drop other kind of references as far as literature, um, a lot of people are reading uh, Drive by uh, Daniel Pink, talking about teams needing, uh, teams and individuals being intrinsically motivated need autonomy and mastery and purpose. Um, that's kind of the kind of key phrase from the book. And he certainly draws on a lot of other literature by other people, um, like the author of Flow, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Um, he's done a lot of work around sort of a lot of um, studies on the psychology of work uh, and motivation. But I think that, that there's a really important theme that's emerging around this relationship between purpose and autonomy. And so leaders who are able to push authority down and out into the teams um, are typically more effective as an organization. They def definitely meet their business goals uh, more readily um, because sort of bottlenecking and controlling all the decision-making at the top makes an organization rigid and less flexible and it slows them down and they won't be as able to keep up with their competitors uh, if they're doing that. And so I think it's really important for leadership to involve a level of giving other people the chance to be responsible um, for some of the decision-making and pushing that out. And then I think the other part that you mentioned that's really important is this concept of sort of interpersonal communication, like communication between people in an organization. Delighted to see that there's been a lot more focus and empathy, uh, emphasis on empathy and sort of culture and psychology within organizations that that people need hard skills like product management and design and software engineering but they also really need um soft skills which are poorly named because they're incredibly hard sort of being able to listen um being able to understand uh the sort of the psychology of the person that you're talking to in a way that um not in sort of a probing way but in a way that we're we're building empathy with each other and we're able to kind of create more mind share around what we're trying to do together, right? So like um, building products and building businesses is a team sport. There's a lot of communication and collaboration required. That, that doesn't mean we always have to agree. You can have some conflict and have some disagreement. There are ways to have healthy conflict in organizations. And so I am seeing more and more people talk about critical importance of soft skills, especially when you're trying to work with people who are in functions or disciplines 
that are sort of remote from you in the organization, right? Like they're sitting in a different department, they have their own sort of micro culture, and it's hard to work with people that aren't sort of in your bubble all the time. And so those soft skills are ab absolutely essential. Well, you know, I think you know this, but uh, you know, one of the other things we're trying to do with enterprise experience this year uh, is offer workshops that help with the use case of, hey, I'm a UX leader, manager, and um, I have great craftspeople working for me, um, but they don't have the right skills to, to survive and thrive within the enterprise. And uh, the research that we've done, we always do user research to help us develop a program, um, really keyed in on two areas. One is, uh, you know, as you're saying, it's misnamed, but it's soft skills. And the other is uh, business acumen, understanding how decisions get made, where the money goes, how to track it, how to track resources, it is also critical. So those are workshop topics that we're definitely going to be uh, building around. So. You're an interesting case in that you're a person who bridges uh, a couple of areas. And, you know, the, the, the story, I mean, that probably means you have more in common with, with other bridgers from other areas than you may with the, the engineers you, you studied with at school. Um, why, why do you think, I mean, what is it about you and people like you that, make you want to look around? Is it that you're naturally empathetic or you just got sick of projects uh, failing and, and realized that to, in order to, to get across the finish line, you had to figure out how to work with people and be interested in them and listen to them that come from different functions? Yeah, it's, um, it's a tough question. Um, I mean, that's I think, right. yeah, that's okay. I like tough questions. I mean, I think if, you know, if I had to give a concise answer, I, I would say that it's probably because um, I didn't actually study engineering in school. I studied it later on. I did go back to grad school for some, some computer science, but I actually have a social sciences background. Aha, there we go. Yeah, so there's the key. Uh, so yeah, I have the like non-STEM education, right? So I think the sciences and the humanities are, are really important, uh, both, but I, you know, for me, I started with social sciences and sort of history and economics and, and politics and sort of understanding people and how they work first before I got into tech and into business. Um, and it's always served me really well. And so while I love technology and I've been, you know, writing code for 20 years, um, I love building systems and I like the sort of analytical uh, side of the brain um, aspect to building things. Um, I've never lost that love of people and that there's something about getting a group of people together to work on a project that's just really exciting for me. Um, and so I, and I see that same sort of heterogeneous background uh, in other bridgers that I've met who kind of like to look at different domains that aren't typically co connected and they sort of synthesize lessons from, from more than one place. Um, so for me, you know, there's been a lot of those, but the current one is I've been getting a lot into psychology lately and I never really was into psychology a long time ago, but now I'm kind of, you know, I have personal reasons for doing that and it happens to have given me a lot of insights about my work and there's a blending of these domains that I really was, didn't expect and was surprised to kind of 
uh, to see as I've been reading stuff kind of off the typical list. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And I say that partly as the father of a, a high school kid who is not showing any signs of, oh, I want to have a career in this or a career in that. But she's really interested in psychology and she's really interested in theater. And she likes to draw. And the, the, the sort of conventional dad in me gets nervous about that. Where's she going to go to college? And what's she going to do? And how she can support herself? And then, then I think about people that I meet in our field all the time and, um, and how many of us have these sort of non-traditional or unexpected backgrounds. And it really equips us well, especially social sciences and humanities. And it's going to be really interesting over the next 20 years or so to see how the digital natives uh, who... Um, who study these areas, put them together in ways, and boy, it can't, have, it can't come any sooner. I think we really need those people to, to flood the, the technology field and, and now. Let, let me um, ask you one last question before we wrap. Um, I always like to know if there's something that you're finding really interesting, or a person you've encountered, something you're reading that uh, you think our listeners really should know about. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. There's so many to choose from. Um, Maybe something in psychology that you're, that you're reading or theory sure. that you're really enjoying? Yeah, so um, something I read uh, really recently that, that completely blew my mind, uh, and this isn't a super new book. A lot of people have read it already, but um, uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow really transformed the way I think about thinking. Um, and that's sort of the point of the book, but um, it's, it's really infected a lot of my, my work, a lot of the things that I write and a lot of the ways that I approach people in um, work, because it's, it's all about sort of how the brain creates cognitive bias um, and just how sneaky and pernicious that is. Like just the way that our minds work when we, we think we know something like we're absolutely sure. Um, I'm sure uh, there's that great Mark Twain quote, um, I'll butcher, I'm sure, but it's something like, you know, uh, it's not what you don't know, but it's, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so, that'll, that'll yeah. get you, you know? Um, and I think that's rampant in, in our industry for sure. Um, so that book's been really interesting to me. I've been reading other sort of psychological and focused books like um, Essentialism by, by Greg McEwen was also uh, really powerful for people who are really burnt out and spread thin and trying to figure out ways to kind of uh, kind of re rekindle your purpose and, and get some focus in your, in your work and personal lives. Um, so essentialism was really great. Those are two that I would recommend to anyone who's kind of looking for their next uh, pithy uh, thought provoking read. I would, I would highly recommend either of those. Awesome. You know, it, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Kahneman book because it's been on my list and uh, it keeps coming up. I assume it'll be really easy for me to get him on our next podcast. So I'll, I'll get cracking on that. Uh, Sam, it was a pleasure to have you today on the Roosevelt Review. Sam McAfee uh, is someone that if you're in the Bay Area and you're interested in really um, forward-thinking synthesists to help you uh, pull things together and pull people together in new and interesting ways, uh, you should really be talking to Sam. Sam, what's your website uh, URL? Uh, startuppatterns.com is the best way to reach me. All my contact information is there. Um, I love meeting people for coffee. So uh, if you are in the Bay Area, reach out. Happy to, well, to see you in about uh, three weeks. I'm looking forward to it. 
and looking forward to having you involved in uh, the, the formerly known, uh, the conference formerly known as Enterprise UX uh, and recently rechristened Enterprise Experience. And if you attend June 3rd through 5th in San Francisco, um, you can have coffee with Sam in person if you can't get to it any sooner. So Sam McAfee, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Lou.